0: Welcome back to Eddie's Launchpads, the Dogsthorpe Infant School podcast for parents, carers, teachers and schools. Dogsthorpe Infant School is part of Hampton Academy's Trust. We want every child to dream, believe and shine. OK, Eddie, start the countdown. Five, four, three,
1: two, one.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster, the Dogsthorpe Infant School wellbeing dog. Welcome back to Dogsthorpe Infant School's podcast for parents, teachers and schools. Now, last week we had a great guest on, Farmer Luke, and he was telling us all about his life down on his farm. And he was talking about the, the, the quality of food and how our children don't know uh, where our food is coming from. So we're, hopefully we're going to learn a lot more from Luke today. Welcome back, Luke.
1: It is an honour to be here. Absolutely honour. I'll tell you why it's an honour as well, because it's part two.
0: Part two. Let's not waste any time and get back to what we were talking about, and which was about our children not knowing about uh, about food and, and how it's produced. And um, I, I worry, you know, because um being uh someone who I, I my farm was on the north downs of kent and it was very very steep hills just chalk you couldn't really grow a, a much on it other than grassland because it was so difficult to get a tractor down it or up <laughs> it and and also the the ground was so hard it was very very difficult and it was very, very difficult to drain so we had sheep on ours and and um of course some and some cows my dad had a herd of a beef stock, and um, the interesting thing is that people say to me, um, "Oh, I'm I'm vegetarian," you know, and I say, "Great, good on you, because that is good. That is good, and oh, all you vegetarians who made that life choice, and I'm I'm trying to cut down on the meat that I eat and the and the the dairy produce, and that's all good for us. Doctors will tell us it's all very good for us, good for our heart, etc. But of course, there's a knock-on effect. There's a domino effect. That will, act that in farming, that that goes right down the line, isn't there? Because if people say, "Oh, I don't drink milk anymore," or "I'm I'm not going to eat meat anymore," that has an impact further down the line. So you can you there won't be any there won't be any milk because in order to get milk, you have to have whether that's goat's milk or sheep's milk or cow's milk, the the animal has to be. Uh, pregnant has to have be be having having young so if you then say oh we're not going to have any more beef cattle or we're not going to have any more sheep then there won't be any milk because there'll be no animals to produce it because how will the cow produce milk if you don't give it a calf if it's uh, if it's not got a calf got young so there's a knock-on effect and I guess that goes all the way down the line to to you because if you then grow say barley uh for uh, for cattle feed then that's going to impact on your livelihood as well and you'll have to think about what you're going to do differently and so there is a knock-on effect is there Yeah, definitely,
1: definitely. Like you said, um, farming, however we look at it, I know there's a nice tweet picture of us walking out kicking chickens and, you know, like we walk out, my wife goes and collects the eggs. Uh, Farming is a business at the end of the day. We grow stuff to sell. We need a margin. We need to make money. We need to produce what the consumer wants. Now, if you do cut down on meat and dairy products, it is going to definitely have an effect on me. But we can sit here debating this. There's debates out there. You can listen to as many podcasts as you want about the not eating meat, eating meat, climate change. But I'm going to try and skate it down in a nutshell. So here we go. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you to eat meat or not eat meat. Your life, your choices. I mean, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. It's uh, the thing that frustrates me sometimes is why people are doing it. Like, I'm not saying don't eat meat, and I think people who do meet meat and trying to cut down should not feel bad at all should not feel bad at all. You can just see the trend of the way the meat's been at, and it comes, again, going back to the massive event that happened in 1940. After that, the agricultural policy was to produce as much food as you can cheaply. Because all this food was just available after the 50s and when we got back on our feet again, food was so cheap, so people could afford to eat more meat than what they ever have done in their life. And because that trend has, has been set right up to now, meat has just been so cheap, everything's been so... Available, so we are kind of overeating meat as such. Now, if you're eating meat to help cut down the environment, I would say that you are not really helping as much as what you think you are. You can still eat meat, and you can still help the environment as long as you source it locally or somewhere that's sustainable. Now, a lot of the facts that have been floated about on the media, anywhere, I hope people like shout the radio. Just double check your facts because a lot of often feed lots from america they feed lots from argentina these are the places that are ripping up trees to put beef cattle we're here in the uk um i'm not a beef farmer myself but i do know some beef farmers and i've seen the good work they're doing now they working very closely with the soils and their beef cattle so the, the beef eats meat. obviously they're not over grazing they've put them out on grass they're moving them quickly there's there's one one day grazing so they're moving Herd all the time. Of course, that herd is eating and eating the grass. It's then booing putting more manure back in the ground. The microbiotics that are inside that soil are eating that, and they're getting healthy. And you can see the cycle how this is going. So, if you are eating meat and thinking about cutting down, do it if you if you want to. But if you want to keep eating meat, eat a little bit less. Look for sustainability. Look for local farm shops. Look, just look in the supermarket. If it's got a red tractor on it. I guarantee you that it's been done in a sustainable way because we have to meet modules that make sure that we farm in a sustainable way. So you can still eat meat and not feel bad about it if it's so, small, if, it's so if it's sourced as you know um, sourced sustainably and um, cleverly.
0: Listen, children, you you got it. You've got to go and meet Luke on his YouTube channel, which we'll talk about in a little while, because he's he, he teaches us so many important things about farming, and you'll learn so much. And you parents, you'll learn so much. So even if you don't read, even if you you find reading boring or whatever, go on go on to to Luke's YouTube channel, and you can still learn a great deal. And and if you're lucky enough, you might even get him into school, which we'll we'll talk about in a little while. But um, with the, the, the news over these, these past few weeks that Britain is, is heading towards 70 million people in a few years' time, the, mm-hmm. the demand has never been more greater on, on you to produce the food for us.
1: No it, no it is. It, it, it really, really is. Like the, the population is getting bigger, so we need to produce more food. But also as well, we do need to do it in more an environmentally sustainable way. Now, we keep banging on about British produce, and I just said that, and I'll tell you why you select British over anything else. It's because of our high standards. Now, people are probably going to laugh about that, but we farm, it, we have the highest standards in the world compared to any other nation. And it, it, even sometimes, even in, within the EU as well, we are definitely the world leaders within this sustainability, with traceability and also safety. Now, without getting too boring, and I don't want to bring the podcast down, and if anyone, if any government minister is listening, (laughs) government policy, if anyone even in touch with the news and stuff, government policy is changing into the way that they're not actually too concerned about how much food we produce. That's not even on the agenda. The food security is not on the agenda. What is, is on the agenda is nature. Now, I'm a firm believer that we are farming with nature we are in i'm just looking around now and can see all the nature so if we do need to put food security at the heart it should not be again you know the detriment of nature but at the same time the government policy is actually encouraging farmers not even farmers but landlords landowners to not bother growing crops in their fields anymore and actually just leave it
0: just leave it fallow just leave
1: it and the government will pay you to leave it fallow yeah so yeah. that is not helping with combating like you said, the food shortage we are heading towards, which is going to lead to us importing more goods into this country and I dare I say it, a lower standard than what we could do in the UK even though we have saved the nature we are putting ourselves at risk in importing this stuff, mm. but we don't know how it's been produced. I know that people are going to argue that um, it is produced in a way that is, is safe though some people might not declare what how it's been produced, if you like. In the UK, we will get fired out because of the red tractor audit. We cannot pull the wool over them guys' eyes. Everything by the red tractor label has been traced all the way back to either seed, even the generation before it's seed, all the way up to you get to your dinner plate. There is a paper trail, and there is uh, there is traceability and accountability as well along that food chain. So that is when you are looking. 100% look for the red tractor by British, not only supporting British farmers, you're supporting local communities as well, you, you're actually having a higher standard of food. Mm. Uh, as I said previously about the children don't know where the food comes from, this is one vitally important to get into the schools. And again, if you listened to last week, I did blame ourselves as farmers not for, not, not for doing this earlier. But it's to get into schools and not just, just teach where food comes from so they make that connection so they can when they really get older make better choices and will help with diets as well. But it does help as well to encourage the next generation not only just to eat the produce we produce, but actually become part of the produce or help produce the produce, the, the, the help to produce the produce that we produce. Now that was a tongue twister. In the industry we need to farm more far farm more. We need to farm more as we just have been fruit and was well in nature. But we don't need people we do need people to sell tractors and to, to grow food, but also as well to do this research into how we can do it better. Not if you listen to the first one, the industry's changed no end. We've got a lot more technology. We also need a lot more scientists involved in doing research to how can we do this better? How can we do the balance between the not damaging the environment but also producing more food? How, how are we going to do this? This mm. is the transition we're really in at the minute and the next generation that we're talking to now, that in your schools now, these are going to be the ones that are going to come up with the answers. Mm. These are the ones that are going to have to follow through and carry on and make sure that we are doing it better than what my generation did Mm. so this is why it's important to get into schools
0: and just encourage and also just to just to get farming back on the map you come in and you give them a a race to to grow potatoes you know and oh. and that little competition like that or we we have um, plantlet culture that we've had on the show who who grow things in in test tubes and the children can grow things like that or even if it's only a school that's growing a bean on a piece of tissue paper the excitement of watching that bean burst to life and to grow is the the the, the nursery slopes of a potential farmer in the future
1: oh definitely Definitely. You still get a massive buzz. I mean, I say buzz, I mean more sigh of relief when I see something that like I'm growing in the field that's actually come up and it's going to grow into something. But the the children, when you see them, that they they, they realise that, that they themselves can grow something. They don't rely on me to do it. They're little – you know, your minds, if you just got anything at all, just take a seed out of an apple, if you like, and put it on a bit of tissue paper and put some water on it, and just watch the shoot come. Just – when mm. when you realise you can do this, the world just opens. Yeah. And they yeah. know that they can they can do this and how stuff around them grows. So if you are if you are listening, why not have just have a go? Absolutely. You don't need too much at all. You just need a pot, some soil, which you can get from a you can get compost from a garden center or just just go and look and see if there's a bit of soil outside. Just put it in the pot and then just put the seed in, put a bit of water, put it by a in and watch it grow.
0: Yeah, and all you head teachers and senior leaders out there, of course, that dovetails in nicely with uh, the STEAM agenda that, uh, you know, it is about science, it is about technology. Oh. All of this stuff dovetails together, and, and Luke has got some amazing resources. Now, can we turn to what you offer schools and what you offer families, Luke? Um, you've got so many resources. I'll put a link to all of your links. on on the podcast. So people can go, we haven't got to worry about mentioning them all, but you've got so many. Are there things that you want to particularly highlight the work that you do?
1: I've worked with several organisations that are absolutely fantastic. I know that I work with them because I work with them because they're so fantastic. The STEM programme, farming and agriculture, people have not realised how much science, technology, engineering is involved in it. And NFU education is definitely 100% the best resources ever. They're literally doing their life science lessons now, which evolved around the STEM program. I've been to Downing Street teaching kids about the STEM program and how agriculture is involved within STEM and science and technology. So if you are looking, the teachers are listening, they want to look at that 100%. Younger children, if you want to just have dabble in a bit of agriculture to learn where food comes from, Kids Country has some amazing resources on their website to get, get involved into doing stuff. There's step-by-step guides how to get kids and how it all ties into a lovely lesson as well teachers and listening. And even children and parents, You've just nice, easy stuff you could do at home, how to grow stuff. Even when you've grown something, it tells you then recipes how to make it into stuff. And even when I come to myself, this is why I'm so proud of what I do. And I love talking to children. I love telling them where the food comes from. So when I do a lot of school talks, I talk a lot about wheat because everyone eats bread sugar because no one knows we grow sugar in the uk at all they think it's all imported or some people even think this is a factory made thing that we actually just make it using chemicals and then also potatoes because who doesn't love potatoes everyone loves potatoes now i try and make it as in when i go into schools with any of them organizations or as myself as farmer luke i try and make it as interactive as possible i know that's hard when it's a subject but i have a lot of props so i take a lot of small scale machinery and so kids can realize i I can bring a tractor in. It's hard to get it in the classroom. A combine harvester is just a no-go with some of the sizes (laughs) of school school playgrounds. So I bring them all in so I can show them the farmer journey from seed all the way up to something that they eat in the supermarket. And depending on what the kid's ages is as well, it depends how much they need to know. So I know kids are listening to a bit boring, but if they're youngsters and they know that I grow wheat and make bread, that is a win. I'll take that all day long. When they get older, I like to sprinkle in a bit of nature and how we're actually farming with the environment. And when they get really older, into like their teens, they're starting to make these decisions how they're going to buy stuff and what the farmer looks like and what the things are doing and they can actually be a career in agriculture. I talk a lot about careers in agriculture and about how my farm depends on a team. I'm only a tiny cog in this massive machine that gets the food from the plate. It's nothing to do with me how it gets, like, the, the products you're eating. I've only just a part of that part of that chain i'm not the one only producer that has to get involved to doing this and also as well i like talking to the older kids about different techniques with having so we've just been talking before the podcast was was on about how they used to have a two furrow plow or three furrow plow mm-hmm. you'll see the plows are not much on farms anymore the, pl- the plows now a reset button it's an emergency button that we need a lot of us are now going down to mini till or no till or direct drill really so mini till means we only just move the soil as much as we need to we need to preserve it so future generations can, but also we need to use it as well because we need to grow food. So we are in the midst of this balancing act to try and find out where is the optimum level that we can get so we're preserving it, but also using it effectively as we can as a great resource. If we just stop growing stuff down here, then um, where's that shortfall gonna come from? Where are we gonna produce these other crops that we can produce down here on the fen, like the potatoes we do, or the mm-hmm. carrots we do, or the salads we do? Where, where, where's this all gonna come from? Are we gonna import it? Then what's the point in growing the UK? Again, I'll go back to the argument that we're importing a large standard of food. So this is again why we're at the forefront and I like to tell children because these are the future that are gonna help farmers like me decide on what we do. We need people that are, in, that are interested in science and technology to help us produce this food in this balancing way. I was with a lady a couple of days ago whose job is to look specifically at the fen and the soil to find out how can we farm not just preserve it but they're looking into doing research into re-wetting the fen so completely letting it go back to marshlands keep water levels yeah. up but looking into how can we farm with it so they're not even saying now no that's it we're off limits we're just going to leave it wet it and leave you know that's it because they're realizing that sometimes that's not quite the a, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil the talk if anyone wants to go and listen to them, but they're finding out that's not quite the optimal way to preserve it. Mm. So mm. they're trying to work out how. So one of the ideas is to raise the water level, and then leave it, leave, and then drop it, plant the crop, raise it again, leave it wet, and then when we come to combine it, drop it again, take the food off it, and bring it back up again. Mm. This is just mind-blowing mm. stuff mm. that you don't think that is involved in agriculture. Uh, going back to the stereotypical, stereotypical farmer that we just plough the field. And then we just take our, our week to Mr. Tesco's. It is a lot different. It's a lot more business science based, technology based mm-hmm. than I think people give it credit for. I know this is, I keep banging on about it, but when people meet me, they can't believe I'm a farmer. I go to schools with another, uh, with an energy education, and I've been going in with a lovely lady. She's, again, this farm's just outside of this, this area, and they can't believe that she's a farmer because she's
0: female if you're if you're a head teacher or you're a senior leader don't think we're just talking about young children growing beans here because they go you do work right up key stage three and four don't you
1: for 16 year olds i've done a level stuff i've been into schools explaining agriculture to 17 year olds who i could not believe knew a little about agriculture as they did now, I know you would have thought at some point in their life, they would have put a connection together, but they didn't, No, they really didn't. But again, I wasn't teaching us to, to like the basics we was into technology. We was into my microbiotics and stuff like that, mm. which was really enjoyable. And I couldn't believe how many of them listened to me. I thought I was just going to switch off and go, who's this idiot talking? But no, I really, really enjoyed that. So yeah, if you are a, a little teacher, like definitely agriculture, it ticks all the boxes.
0: How do you find all the time? I know that, that when you're a farmer, you've it's a lot of hard work. How do you manage to do that and visit schools, Luke?
1: I squeeze it in. I <laughs> squeeze it in. I have a real, real passion to, to do this stuff. So I make sure that I've got the time. Now, i tell you why that drives me as well. It's not just because of the kids that don't know about agriculture. It's also a personal thing because... Um, Farming is, even though I love the industry, I've grown up in it. I think it's brilliant. Does grind you down, like it's the it's the grind of repetitive stuff. It's the grind of stuff going wrong. It's the weather. Now, when I when I go to schools and explain agriculture to see the children's faces about how like wonderful this stuff is, and I can't believe you do this, and you come back with a sense of yeah. Yeah, re-enthusiastic really the industry. You, 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 you love it again. You're sitting on the tractor with a smile. Mm. And it's the same with my social media. Like I try and squeeze as much as I can because I love explaining um, agriculture. And with I, I do daily vlogs as much as I can on YouTube. So every day you'll see what I'm up to, whether we're bagging potatoes, plowing. You'll see this today. You wouldn't see the podcast, but I will say I've been on a fantastic podcast today. And what I was actually sitting on the tractor I'm doing today, so look out for that one.
0: Right, um, I'll do that. <laughs>
1: it, it keeps me on track. It keeps me on track. I do a lot of time lapses. I explain what we're doing. And I don't want to ruin the episode by not doing it. Or uh, just you know, hiding for 10 minutes on my phone, looking at Facebook. And I want to show the people what I'm up to. So
0: You've got such enthusiasm and such, uh, such a calling for, for the work that you do and the, and the children that you teach. I'm sure there's an alternative universe somewhere in the mists of time where there's Luke, the teacher, who's probably you know teaching all the children because you you you've got all the skills gifts and skills to be a teacher no doubt about it um you know you you the way that you've spoken today puts a lot of um teachers to shame because we've got to we've got to get um farming and food production onto mm-hmm. our our syllabus more because um, if not, we are going to slip down that slippery slope you talked about in part one, where, um, you know, children are going to grow up not realising that, um, just thinking that it just appears like um, Mary Poppins' bag, the food, the, mm. the cereal box just appears in the cupboard and just by magic. And we don't want mm. that. We want them to know that some, their, their, their box of, of whether that's cornflakes or sugar puffs or whatever, their box was all created by somebody sitting on a tractor mm-hmm. that looks like a Apollo, Apollo 11. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. and, it, it, and, and, you I know, don't. the work you do is so valuable.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is, and it all works out very nicely within a lesson plan. So you're doing something about maths. You can use agriculture yep. within maths. The amount of maths yep. that I need to use, working out field sizes, working out yep. drilling rates, yeah. Working out how much money I'm going to lose this year or make this year, but then you could do that. The science, the biology into it. You can even go to the DT, the the you know, creative stuff, the, the technology involved in it. Well, every aspect of what a kid learns can relate back to agriculture.
0: Well, Luke, it's been wonderful talking to you. Perhaps in the oh. in the future you'd like to come back on the show and t- tell us about oh. how you're getting on and share some more about the wonderful work you do. Long may it continue. Uh, listeners, go on to the text of this podcast and you'll find ways of getting in touch with Luca. I'll put on the, the, the link that will give you all of the things that he does and all the things that he offers him and his wonderful colleagues. Let's get more children and finding out that that box of cornflakes doesn't just appear by magic in a cupboard somewhere. It's actually created on a field down on Daintree Farm. Luke, thank you for your time today.
1: I've absolutely loved it. Really, really loved it. I mean, we, we could have easily had a for
0: You have been listening to the Dogsthorpe Infant School Podcast. Join Captain Dave and his co-pilot Eddie Edster, the well-being dog, on another launch pad soon. Until then, always remember to be kind, be respectful, and most of all, dream, believe, and shine. Dogsthorpe Infant School is part of Hampton Academies Trust.